Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1001, air date December 1st, 2021. Okay, and so we're in Reno, Nevada, right? And we're going to really talk about election integrity. Okay, good. So, uh, so welcome everyone. What I wanted to do was I wanted to give everyone uh, the agenda that I had put together was I wanted it to provide everyone a framework for looking at election integrity from what I call an election systems integrity standpoint. The key word is going to be the word system. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, we're going to be shortly um, announcing the launch and I can share with you a little bit of a preview. So it's a, a big sneak preview everyone is going to get is the launch of our Election Systems Integrity Institute, which is gonna be composed of um, some of the best minds in the world to really take a bipartisan non or nonpartisan um, beyond left and right approach to really address fair and transparent elections. I wanna talk about that. And then I wanna talk about philosophically what the approach is to look at election systems integrity. Uh, if we really wanna address it versus today on the one side of the establishment, Republicans and Democrats want to deny there are any issues with election uh, systems. They want to just move along, nothing to see here. And then on the other side, you have two events taking place. Some people are grifting off election integrity and making money off of it. And then there are some real substantive issues. So I want to talk about what those substantive issues are. And then I want to end with some data that our institute has put together that we did, you know, uh, we were the first ones starting as early as September of 2020 in my own election. Not only am I someone who uh, wants to resolve this, but I was also a victim of this when I ran for United States Senate, when the Massachusetts GOP colluded with the Democrats in Massachusetts. So it's not that it's Republicans versus Democrats, Democrats versus Republicans. Um, in our own institute, for example, we brought together uh, people who are coming from both wings of the uh, establishment, meaning, uh, or both wings of left and right. Uh, Tim Canova, for example, was a Democrat who ran against Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and he was cheated. And it was a major uh, case that happened. In fact, the uh, election supervisor in Broward County actually deleted all the ballots uh, during the midst of the lawsuit. So it's Democrat, uh, do, do this to Democrats, Democrats do this to Republicans, Republicans do this to other Republicans, as we witnessed here in Massachusetts. So I want to lay that out so we have no illusions, but I think the reality is that there's a significant opportunity to take a systems approach to understand this. As a part of that, what I wanted to do was just share with people, uh, and you can go look at this on your own at some point, but I wanted to share with people that uh, we have launched this Election Systems Integrity Institute, and it, it, will, be, it will be formally launched actually tomorrow, but just to give you an idea, uh, it's Election Systems Integrity Institute, um, and we are going to be looking at a number of issues. This is the first beta launch of the website. In fact, the, the, the front page of the site goes all the way back to Pompeii, and this is one of the oldest coins that was discovered uh, where people voted uh, back then, you know, using little uh, coins like these. And the article written by an esteemed researcher really talks about there was even voter fraud back then, okay? Um, so that's sort of the uh, starting picture on the election systems integrity website when people have a chance you may want to go check it out but the other piece of it is there are four areas that our institute's going to focus on 
The first area is voter rolls. Is uh, The reality is many of these voter rolls are not kept up to date. The second is the signature verification process, uh, which as you know, in Maricopa County, I was asked to do the ballot image analysis and we discovered the fact that the signature verification process itself is unverifiable. And in our recommendations, we said that we really need um, to really understand what is the signature verification process? How does it run? How does it work, et cetera? So that's another one of the important areas that the Institute will be focused on. And that came out of our work, as uh, many of you saw in the Arizona analysis of the uh, envelope images. The other area that's gonna be important is ballot images themselves. Um, according to 52 USC 20701, states and counties are supposed to preserve ballot images, particularly for federal elections. What we discovered in Massachusetts is, with great hubris, the state election director, Michelle Tassinari, said she deleted the ballot images. And for that matter, they didn't have to save them. When I exposed this, in my own election in September of 2020, on Twitter, four email interactions, uh, exposing the fact that state election director is admitting they deleted the ballot images, I was thrown off Twitter. That led into a series of lawsuits where we exposed that my being thrown off Twitter was not done by big tech. It was a government of Massachusetts, which has a VIP relationship with big tech and to throw off all American citizens if you call out state election uh, officials as being corrupt. And we demonstrated that. And the last piece of our institute's area is standardized operating procedures. The state election directors seem to believe from our analysis, the Institute has come across, is that they are perhaps above the law, that they don't need to be transparent and, and, and share all this. Again, this is left and right. So I wanna let everyone know, we have a number of wonderful people who are joining our team from all different disciplines, um, uh, people from computer science, law, uh, technology, education. And this is just uh, a few of those people, Tim Canova over here, what is a law professor now, but he was a Democrat who got screwed over by Democrats. So I wanted to give you a preview of this. We'll be formally be announcing this more, but um, that is one of the central uh, features that I wanted to share with you. But one of the key things is our approach is to take what, what we saw right here is an engineering systems approach. So I wanna take a little bit of time and talk about that and what we mean by that, what, what, what I mean by an engineering systems approach, because I think that'll help all of you uh, to understand why we need to take this kind of systems approach if we're gonna be serious. So let me explain what I mean what a systems approach is. So if you look at the world today, particularly in the 21st century, everything that we have today are systems, okay? So what is a system? Well, a system is something that is not just one part or two parts, but it's, in, it's an interconnected set of parts. So for example, in the old days, you know, you had your car, okay? It was an invention that was created or a light bulb, right? So the 20th century was the era of innovating individual component inventions. The 21st century is where these individual components are integrated into large scale systems. So the airplane of today is not just an airplane by itself, but it's interconnected to satellites, it's interconnected to all sorts of subsystems. Your doctor today is no longer your family doctor who's down the road in your neighborhood, he's interconnected into this expansive system called the healthcare system. Well, a systems approach is a very different set of scientific methodologies that are needed to really understand these complex systems, okay? 
voting systems, unfortunately, have become very complex systems. And by the way, the healthcare system has also become a complex system. And it doesn't mean complexity is better. And this is one of the things engineering systems reveals. It may be better just to count votes by hand counted paper ballots versus creating all this complex machinery. It may be better for you to have a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with your family doctor. He looked at you, talked to you, knew about you and your family versus today you go to a doctor, the doctor doesn't even look at you anymore, okay? Um, they're looking at the typewriter or the computer for 15, 20 minutes. At best, you get to have an interaction with them. So the concept of a engineering systems approach says we need to understand the entire process. So when we look at the voting systems from a engineering systems approach, we're not just saying, oh, this is the issue or this is this one issue. It's just uh, mail-in ballots or it's just, you know, uh, voter fraud, you know. It's, we have to understand the, the complexity of this process, right? And the complexity of this process goes like this. Human beings called voters uh, typically register to vote. They have some type of registration process and then they go vote. Well, today the voting process, that's so you have this system and human beings are coming in, people. And the output should be V, the number of votes. So P is let's say 10 people show up to your precinct to vote. How many ballots should be cast? Well, it should be 10 ballots cast, right? If P is 10, number of people, the vote should be 10. When in my own election in Massachusetts, when I got involved in this, and by the way, in September 1st of 2020, I never thought that election fraud took place in this country. But what I noticed was the observable phenomenon that we had 3,000 volunteers on the ground. We had uh, we raised, you know, a million, uh, uh, a mil over a million dollars, two mil close to two million dollars in a primary race, and we had uh, ten thousand, you know, bumper stickers, twenty thousand lawn signs. Our opponent, which the Massachusetts GOP had put up against us, purely to make sure an outsider would, wouldn't win that primary, had no lawn signs, wasn't even around, and that is when in September one we knew we had won by a landslide, but we had won by 20 points or 10 points in the in the only hand counted paper uh, county in Massachusetts where everything was predominantly hand counted. But in every other county, we lose, quote unquote, lose 60, 40, 60, 40, 60, 40. So that led into me really wanting to understand the system using all my degrees at MIT, my engineering systems approach. And what we discovered was that, yes, a thousand people can come into a precinct and you would expect a thousand votes. Well, guess what we found out? Nearly in every county we audited ourselves, where we got the participating voters list and the ballots cast, there were always typically more voters than ballots cast. That led into uh, my starting to explore how these electronic voting machines work, because in the county that I won in, which was all hand-counted paper ballots, we won by 10 points, and in every other county we lose 60, 40, 60, 40, which were all electronic machines. Well, when a ballot comes in, that ballot, first of all, it's converted to what's called a ballot image. And um, in my recent meeting with the president, I had to explain this to him. He was unaware what a ballot image was. It was, was quite interesting. And it was important for him to understand this because in Maricopa County, for example, and this came out in the press, it's public information, the ballot images were not and yet to be audited, okay? Which should have been one of the primary things that should have been done in the audit, the ballot images, because paper comes in, the machines scan the paper, 
and they convert them into an image of that ballot, okay? That image is what is analyzed by those machines to calculate the vote count. Let me repeat that again. Paper comes in, converted to a ballot image. The ballot image is what is analyzed by the machine through its quote unquote AI to understand if Biden got a vote or Trump got a vote, okay? So what is the ballot? Is it the paper ballot or is it the ballot image? It's a ballot image because a ballot image is what is counted. So it's very unfortunate that in the Arizona audit that the ballot images you know, were never reviewed initially. And that, in my view, that's what should have been done first before you even do the paper ballots. Okay, so we were given the opportunity to look at the envelope images. So what do, what do we mean by that? So when you're a voter, you can vote in various ways. You can vote early voting, which means before the election takes place where you get a ballot and you have to put the ballot in an envelope and then you sign it and you send it in. You can vote in person. There's also called Yukava voting where people could be military people overseas. And there's provisional ballots. So there's various types of ballots. But ultimately, in the case of Maricopa County, 92% of the ballots were through mail-in, which means people put their ballot in an envelope and they signed on the cover of that envelope. Well, when those ballots come in, they are imaged. The, the, not the ballots, I'm sorry, the envelopes are imaged, okay? Ballot is in an envelope, it's imaged by one, uh, as we understand, unless we get more information, one private company called Runbeck. Those images are uh, then presented or analyzed to figure out if the signature on that envelope matches the signatures in the voter registration files. And that methodology still today is a black art. It has not been fully revealed. And then anything that doesn't quote unquote match is given to human beings to match. Um, and many of these human beings are not trained forensic signature people. So ultimately a certain number of ballots are dismissed, but the majority of them are approved, okay? And when they're approved, then the envelopes are open and the ballots are scanned through those machines to create the ballot images, which are tabulated, okay? So you see, it's a process. So by the time you count the ballots, that's the end of the factory process. There are many other substantive things that can occur upfront in that process. For example, where the signatures properly matched, okay? In Maricopa County, we found out that only about 587 signatures were mis mismatched among 1.9 million. Now, as someone who's done handwriting recognition in other fields, I find that mismatch rate extremely low. In fact, that mismatch rate in 2020 was 50% less than the mismatch rate four years ago when the number of ballots, mail-in ballots in uh, Maricopa County was, uh, was half. So you had less ballots coming mail-in four years ago you had double the mismatch rate. And this year uh, in 2020, you had double the number or 50% increase in the number of mail-in ballots and you had half the amount of mismatch rate. So, so some very interesting anomalies. One of the things I wanna present, I'm gonna present with you some data today that we had done on uh, Clark County in Nevada. But from a system standpoint, and this is something very important to also, and I'll, I'll end with this point from a, philosophy standpoint is in engineering systems and every state election director, if they're listening to this, should listen to this carefully because in engineering systems, which is what a voting system is, is you embrace criticism. You embrace anomalies. You don't 
try to write it off and try to shove it under the rug. That's when, you know, airplanes fall out of the sky or healthcare systems fail or people uh, get, you know, mistreated the wrong way. Okay. In, in large scale systems, or you have potentialities of errors in voting, but anomalies are those observations you make that are deviated from what you would, you would expect. That's what an anomaly is. It's not a claim. One of the writers who attacked me from an organization called the Arizona Mirror in, in Arizona, he doesn't, and he's a journalist, but he doesn't understand the difference between a claim and an anomaly. An anomaly is something that goes beyond what you would expect. Okay, and we're gonna share with you one of that in Clark County. So anomalies are what engineers thrive on. We want anomalies because when you discover anomalies, it's an opportunity to fix the system and make it better. When the O-ring was brought up on the space shuttle in January 26th of 1986, two engineers said, hey, we shouldn't fly the shuttle. This O-ring has never been tested under these conditions. Well, Morton Fikal and NASA decided to not listen to these engineers, eh? and we blew up the space shuttle. And now we understand that the O-rings are the things that connect the solid rocket boosters, and they were not connected properly. You're going to get leakage, et cetera, okay? So if signature verification is unverifiable, that's an anomaly. If you have blanks in signature areas and they're being stamped, that's an anomaly. If you have ballot images, which are according to 52 USC 20701, are to be preserved for federal elections, particularly for 22 months, and they're not, and a lot of people who participate in elections don't even know what ballot images are, I would argue that's an anomaly, okay? So we need to understand that we have a significant opportunity that goes beyond left and right. And as long as we focus on identifying anomalies, which is what we do if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a mother, right? You want to identify anomalies or someone's gonna get sick. So you identify anomalies and you go fix them. You don't call people all sorts of names and try to you know, denigrate them as occurred in my case, Massachusetts, as occurred to other people's case. That's why we created the Institute. The Institute is gonna be an amazing place for systems thinkers, engineers, scientists, citizens to come together and really resolve this in a very meaningful way. So as a part of that, I wanna share with everyone um, some data that we organized together because we're in Nevada um, and we had some data that we wanted to share with you on Clark County. We're gonna share with you for the first time today, we haven't shared this before. Had we had more time, um, we could put together some uh, deeper analysis, which we will do as a part of our center, okay? Or the Institute. Uh, so let me bring up this uh, presentation I put together for you and then we'll open it up to questions. So here we go. So as you can see here, um, let me bring this up. I assume everyone can see this, yes? No, no you gotta share your screen. Oh, I didn't share it? I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on. I got to do it for um, the Zoom people. Sorry. One of the things I think with the Zoom people, I did not share with you guys the hold on. Um, let me do this. Let me share share here. Yep. There you go. Can you guys see this? Okay. All right. Um, so let me walk through this with everyone. Okay. So what we did here, can you, everyone see this? Yes? Yes. Okay. So what I'm showing here is we took Clark County and what we wanted to do was we wanted to do, again, 
What's really nice about when you take a very simple um, in pattern analysis, we look at what are called signals, okay? We try to develop signals. Mathematicians really don't understand this, but pattern recognition people are trying to look at a feature. So one of the very simple features we did here was along the x-axis, we have developed a metric of the Republican percentage in each um, precinct. So that's the x-axis. So every one of these dots here represents a precinct in Clark County, okay? So the x-axis is what percentage of Republicans are in that Recording county. Recording in progress. Okay, got it, okay. So what we're looking at here is what percentage of this precincts are Republican. So this one, this precinct right here is about 95% Republican. This precinct right here, you could say is about 7% Republican. This is around 38% Republican, okay? Then on the y-axis, we're plotting from the actual data for each precinct. And by the way, this takes quite a bit of effort because you have to sort the precincts, et cetera. Uh, we're looking at the percentage of vote that in this case, President Trump got in that precinct, okay? Everyone clear? So you get what you would expect this straight line and you notice the slope of this line is 96.7%. What that means is uh, uh, Trump is doing a little bit less. It's not 100%, okay? Which means uh, this precinct, let's say is 90% Republican. You would expect Trump to get 90% of the vote there. It's actually a little bit less. It's 0.96 of that. Okay, so that's the slope of this line, all right? So just keep that slope in mind. Next, we did Republican State Senate, RSS, we call them, candidates in each precinct. Remember, you go to a voting booth and you can do one of two things, right? You can, uh, you, if, you're, if you're a Republican, you're gonna, uh, hopefully, if you are, uh, uh, most Republicans behaviorally, uh, not hopefully, I don't wanna take a side here, but, uh, 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 Theoretically, a, a Republican will say, yes, I'm gonna vote for my Republican state senator. I'm gonna vote for the Republican presidential candidate. Okay, in this case, it was uh, Trump. So what you see here is this is the plotting, again, of the Republican precincts on the percentage of votes the Republican state senators got in that precinct. Some precincts did not have uh, a Republican running for office, so we excluded those. And what do you see here? The slope of this is 103 means 103%, which means Republicans were doing, the Republican state Senate candidates were doing better according to this line than their Democrat, um, uh, you know, opposition, but they're doing equally or better. So if you have a, typically this means that every, if 90% Republican uh, precinct here, 90% plus, in fact, they also pulled votes from potentially independents and others voted for that Republican state Senate candidate. Okay, so you would expect you would expect that these two lines would have the same slope, but what you find is they're a little bit off. So the orange line is the Republican state Senate and they're higher than Trump, okay? And so the net is, what this shows is Trump is gaining less votes than Republican state Senate candidates as the precincts become more Republican. Again, I would consider this an interesting phenomenon to explore, okay? So as you get more Republican, the Republican state senator, senators are doing equally or better than the percentage of Republicans, but Trump is gaining less, and that's this delta. So we decided to explore that delta. And so what we did here was we plotted, again, on the x-axis, uh, bear with me, is the Republican percentage in each precinct, but the y-axis is a difference of how much Trump got 
minus the Republican uh, state Senate uh, Senate candidates. Okay, now you would think that this should be zero, right? Because or uh, more or less, right? Or, 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 or this this is a measure of the relative percentage of votes Trump got relative to the Republican state Senate candidates. That's a fascinating graph. And it took us a while to really understand this. But when you look at this, so here you're going from zero to 10%, 20%. You're moving more and more Republicans, which means these are Democrat precincts. These are highly Republican precincts. And what do you see here? Remember, every dot here is a measure of the percentage Trump got minus the RSS. So you would think everything would be around the zero axis. But you see this massive dip here. So what, what do you see going on? So if you look at the first part of this axis and you 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 look at it from a conical area, all of these precincts fall in, within this cone here, okay? And that's within zero to 30%. And if you were to sort of take the trend line in that, you get a line like that. So what do you see here? This is Trump minus RSS. It's positive, which means Trump is doing better than the Republican state Senate candidates. And these are predominantly Democrat precincts. Okay, I'll repeat that again. Trump's trend line is increasing in these precincts, which are pre predominantly Democrat precincts, and he's doing better, okay? So you would expect it, at least that trend line to keep going. However, what you see at around 30% Republican precincts, you see a very different phenomenon. So I'm gonna keep this trend line here, and I'm gonna look at this point here. What you see is it's almost like a switch is turned on and things change. So you see a very different cone here. And these are the precincts, again, measuring Trump percentage minus Republican state Senate percentage. And you start seeing the trend go downward. So for some reason, which we need to do further research, again, we're open, it, it's a very interesting anomaly, is that you see Trump actually performance is better than the Republican state Senate candidates. And then it literally flips. If you were to look at it like that, it go this and more dramatically, you see this. So I find this fascinating because you would think like things should hover around, you know, plus or minus a zero, but you see a dramatic shift in the difference here. So for example, here's a precinct that's 85% Republican and Trump is doing negative 12, which means the Republican state Senate candidates are doing 12 points better than Trump, okay? And, and the trend is downward in these precincts. So it's a very, very interesting anomaly to say the least, okay? And so the questions we wanna propose, and we can open this up to questions is, so what caused Trump to underperform relative to Republican state senators? Is it possible that Biden in all of these districts is suddenly more popular than Trump? But if that's the case, would you not then expect the, it also, because then people would have voted more for the Democrat state Senate candidates. But it looks like in these precincts, Trump is underperforming, but the Republican state Senate candidates are maintaining their level as they had here, okay? The second is, did voters favor a Republican Senate candidate over Trump in high Republican precincts? If so, why? Why would you suddenly in precincts over here start favoring Republican Senate candidates over Trump. So you're going into the voting booth and you are actively not voting for Trump, choosing Biden, but you're voting for the Republican state Senate candidate somewhere here up, upwards of 12, 12 point difference, okay? In fact, here's one almost 15 point difference in this precinct right here, 75% Republican and the Republican state Senate candidates are getting 15% more votes than Trump.
okay? The other question is what caused that sudden switch at precincts greater than 25% Republicans? What caused that sudden switch, okay? And that switch we're talking about is right around here. So Trump is doing better than the Republican state candidates, and here the switch takes place. What caused that switch? And then the areas we need to explore are voter rolls, right? Uh, where they kept up to date, you know, uh, where, you know, we need to explore the mail-in ballots uh, and ballot images. So again, I just want you to look at these questions. Again, we're not accusing anyone, but this is a very, very uh, significant anomaly where the difference between Trump and the Republican Senate candidates significantly changes directionally at around 25%. And there's some important questions that need to be answered. Um, again, to those of you who just joined new, I wanna let you know that um, we, uh, many of you are aware of the work that myself and our team has done since September of 2020. And we have formalized this into, let me bring up the, so I can share this with everyone, into a formal institute that we are um, that we that we have um, uh, called the uh, uh, Election Systems Integrity Institute. I think everyone can see this. And if you go to uh, electionsystemsintegrity.org, it'll be formally launched tomorrow. We did a soft launch back of it in 2020, but it's going to be an institute that's really dedicated to bringing some of the best minds in the world. Our team is just evolving, and as you can see, we have um, myself, we have lawyers, we have. Uh, computer scientists, we have development people, technology people, uh, people who've been doing the engineering people, educational people, um, including uh, former candidates and uh, law professors. And this institute is going to be dedicated to some very, very fundamental areas of research and education, voter rolls, signature verification, ballot images, and as I mentioned, the standardized operating procedures. So I encourage everyone to support this. We'll be giving you more news. But um, in the interest of time, let me just end here and uh, bring back to uh, any questions. Thank you, Dr. Shiva. Uh, does anybody have any questions for Dr. Shiva? I'm sure you understand exactly what he was talking about and knows how he came to all of those conclusions. We have a question right here. Hang on. Couple. So the information you just showed us on your uh, screen, is that going to be available to us if we go to your institute website? Yes, it'll be up there on the institute website. Uh, believe it or not, we're doing a formal launch uh, tomorrow, so it'll be up there. If you go to the institute website, our team is literally putting up in the presentation area. Let me just share that with you uh, if I bring it up here. There's an area called presentations. Uh, I think you can see it right here. In the presentation area, um, you will see that uh, there's a section there that we're gonna be putting up all of the work our institute has done over the past year. So everyone has access to it. So let me go right here. So if you go right here, in the presentations and publications, we'll have our scientific research papers, our talks, all of them will be up here. Okay, so for example, the presentation we're talking about will we'll get put up here. I hope that answered your question. Yes. Yes, Cynthia, thank you. Yeah, Next you're welcome. Question. Yep. Thank you, Dr. Shiva, for everything. I really appreciate it. I do have a question. Have you looked into or are you familiar with the electronic registration information center, also known as ERIC? Which 
Yes. Okay. Yep. So Nevada was one of the original seven states to form this uh, entity. And uh, it's um, on its cover, it appears to supposedly keep our voters clean. Um, have you dealt much into it? And is it, in fact, just a way for them to know what culture is up to Well, one of the, I think, uh, let me just repeat the question. Uh, I think one of the significant things you're bringing up is that the voter databases, um, a lot of people saw some very interesting anomalies that, you know, hours, you know, as the election was taking place in 2020, those voter roll data was changing, right? I think that's what you're referring to, that it appears that there is no um, standardized operating procedures. And this is one of the things we all need to take away is SOP, standardized operating procedures of how the voter rolls are maintained. You know, when is a deadline when you can't simply keep adding and deleting, okay? It seems uh, the voter rolls are not being maintained properly. I could be wrong, right? But there's no real-time uh, assiduous maintenance of these voter rolls. And obviously that therefore can open them up to different kinds of anomalies because you can layer in data, you can bring in data at varying times. So this is a very, very important po point you're bringing up, but that's gonna be one of the important areas of uh, education and research our institute's gonna focus on. So here in Reno, we're in Washington, so I appreciate what you shared with Clark, but Washington County has a cesspool as well. Right? So it's September, in September of this year, they dumped 12,000 12, people off the voter rolls. But going back into before the 2020 election, in the four-day period, February 26, 2020, and March 2nd, 2020, they added about 4,000 voters to polls. And miraculously, it's almost a perfect 81% are Democrats and 8.4% are Republican. Um, these anomalies we're seeing through the data are, are there's obvious amounts of huge amounts of information being dumped in. I don't know, are they real people or they're not? Are these the aces of their sleeve to stop the voting counts and bring all that uh, and, and call a water leak like they did in the well, I, I think the point you're bringing up, I think that the comment that uh, the feedback I have is there is going to be all these important questions unless the processes are systematized um, in in Maricopa, in Massachusetts, for example, we've asked for what are called standard operating procedures. If you go to a car plant, if you go to, uh, uh, you know, uh, the reason we're all so confident we, when we get an airplane, right, we're not all wondering whether the airplane's going to crash and burn is because there are standardized operating procedures end to end from the time you walk into an airplane from the time it lands. But in the area of voting systems, which is quite peculiar, those standardized operating procedures appear not to be uh, transparent and made accessible to people. Many of these things still have not been made accessible to people in the midst of a multi-million dollar audit that took place in Maricopa County. And what's unfortunate is the recalcitrance the stubbornness of the election officials, they should simply fully disclose all these. You know, you have a company, let's say, or I have a company. When auditors come in to audit your company, the way the auditing goes, it should be done in three days. They come in, they give you a punch list of items that you're supposed to give to people, which talk about how your company runs or how a system runs. The auditors go away, they look through all of that, and it's a very collegial relationship. And then you come back and say, hey, look, you know, some of these processes you need to tighten up, these are not properly documented and people agree and they fix them. But that's the attitude that's needed. So I think you're bringing up an important point because 
everyone's going to always feel if, if I lost an election, I want to know that I lost and show me the data. But when you have data that doesn't match, when you have more votes and voters, these bring up some significant issues. So the same people, uh, I, you know, if you look at the the congressional hearing uh, that took place, there was a very, very unfortunate uh, House of Representatives person who was attacking the person speaking, saying that it was un-American to question audits. Well, I think that individual, by the way, I think his name is Ro Khanna, uh, went to, I believe he went to Yale Law School, and maybe he doesn't know the law, and maybe our institute can help him understand it, is that 52 USC 20701 was passed by a majority Democrat House in order to embrace audits 22 months after an election. Audits are supposed to be encouraged. That's what 52 USC 20701 was for. It was for scientific analysis. It was for citizens' participation. So the unscientific, unengineering attitude to try to diminish people and call them names as being un-American, if they simply want to exercise a law, it also needs to be explored. Where does that attitude come from? But thank you. Exactly. Thank you, Dr. Sheba. Next question. Yeah, Dr. Sheba, great job. Um, I've got a question, and you know, that is probably a little different than, say, Massachusetts or Vermont or, or Loudoun County, for instance. Uh, we know our legislators real uh, intimately. We see them for lunch, for brain. They come to all our meetings and everything. And I know you're just getting started on this, but your chart you just put up there uh, hasn't been, has it been balanced with other larger states that don't know their. Mark Amadeus or they're, you know, they're intimately familiar with that. It's just a name on a ballot. Uh, have you tried that in other states much larger where the, the voters are separated from their, their representatives more? Yeah, it's a good just- yeah, it's a good question. So in the 2020 election, you know, I didn't know how much we'd be able to present, but we have done that same analysis of looking in this case at Trump performance across precincts relative to, let's say, the Republican state Senate. You see, in there are ta- there are states where you don't see these anomalies, very few, but you notice in all the battleground states, you see the same anomalies. So I'll repeat that again. That metric that we came up with, the percentage of what Trump got minus a percent of the Republican state Senate on the y-axis relative to the Republican vote, you know, the Republican percentage in the precincts, we have done that. Um, and we'll probably do another presentation. I didn't know how much time we'd have, but Uh, We have that data for around 15 other states, and you see that same consistent sort of switch take place in the battleground states where the Republican state senators seem to be doing much better than Trump in the high Republican uh, precinct. So it's basically high Republican, low Trump, high Republican, high Republican state senate. So that anomaly we've seen, particularly in the battleground states. Thank you, Dr. Sheba. Do you have any idea why that might be, why the difference in the chart that you just yeah. gave? Well, I think I can speculate, but in the interest of... <laughs> look, um, if, I mean, just uh, look, if if you were to hypothetically look, it could be there are Republic, you know, uh, there are simply Republicans as you get more Republicans in those Republican precincts for some reason, which we don't know, they just happen to flip, right? Now, some people will say among the Republican Party, there are different kinds of Republicans, right? The McCain Republicans, the Romney Republicans, right? 
and the Trump Republicans or the establishment Republicans, and they maybe start to bifurcate. But if you saw that bifurcation, you would expect the bifurcation also to occur among the Republican state senators, maybe not. So that's one of the unanswered questions. Why does that bifurcation in some case take place at a 15 point difference, right? Which means someone's going in and 85, uh, 15% of the time, they are actually choosing Biden and their local Republican state Senate versus Trump. So that's, I, I, I can only speculate, maybe that could be one of the reasons. The other reason could be if you were to do some type of, let's say cheating, it would be much easier to do it in high Republican precincts. You follow what I'm saying? Because you could hide it there. You could say, well, it's because of McCain and because of Romney, et cetera. And, but what's interesting is when I showed that graph, you notice in the high Democrat precincts, Trump's actually doing better than the Republican state Senate. So that's why this anomaly is quite interesting. So it makes you wonder what happened. Now, um, one way to address this is if we do the analysis of the mail-in ballot envelopes and the signature verification. I'm come to the conclusion that signature verification is one of the central pieces here. Think about this. A million people vote, and let's say, uh, let's say 1.2 million people vote. Let's say a million of those are mail-in ballots. So just follow these numbers. In the case of Arizona, those million mail-in ballots, the envelopes come into a private company. The private companies imaging those mail-in ballots, okay, the envelopes, that means they'd have 1 million images on a computer. Apparently they run an algorithm which is looking at the signature, let's say it's Joe Smith, looking at Joe Smith's signature, 27 points on that signature, and then comparing it to the Department of Motor Vehicles or the voter registration signatures. If they supposedly match 27 points, then the envelope is opened. If they don't match, they're supposed to be given to a human being to review, okay? And who's supposed to phone them up. All of these processes Think about the immense opportunity for error here. So if 1 million mail-in ballots came in and imagine that they allowed 10% to go through even though the signatures didn't match, that's 100,000 votes that got through. And then amateurs, volunteers are reviewing those 100,000 by a process which we don't understand to say, oh yeah, those are fine. So I would argue that the entire signature verification process is unverifiable. And that's why the mail-in ballot system has a serious, serious engineering systems flaw in it right now, just from a pure error rate analysis, because we don't know what the error is. Thank you, Dr. Schieber. A couple more questions. I, uh, I'm wondering, we need standard upgrading procedures for our elections here in Nevada. We badly need them. Is there a state that you're a standard operating procedure for their elections that can be used as a model or template for other states such as ours? You've asked a wonderful question. One of the things our institute is going to be doing is we're literally going to be doing an analysis of these SOPs, you know, almost like creating a consumer reports analysis of which states are code green, code yellow, and code red. Um, this is something that, you know, the... Uh, government should be doing on some regular basis. You know, the, uh, you know, auditors come in when I'm, you know, can audit your companies, right? I have regular audits done, but it seems like in this area, there's not 
and methodological process. A good uh, associate of mine and I are uh, in the midst of uh, literally putting together uh, the, the framework of a book for auditing. There's no Bible for this per se that should be followed. And if you really look at the fact, CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, which came out of Homeland Security, they have actually put out documents with the Harvard Belfer School and with Stanford saying that if you question your election officials, call them corrupt, you can be surveilled. That that is the basis, black and white, it's in the playbooks that we discovered at Harvard in my lawsuit, that one of the criteria for you to be surveilled and be seen as un-American is if you actually question an election official, it's there in black and white. So we live in a very unfortunate time where we're living with individuals who are unelected officials who don't have never had to build anything in their lives. God forbid if my view, if many of these people built anything, we'd have airplanes falling out of the sky. So you have quote unquote political scientists and essentially uh, people who shouldn't be involved in this really uh, spearheading election processes. And many of these people have no, uh, frankly, education in this. They don't have any qualifications in this. They're basically uh, unelected officials. So I think this is a major opportunity for advancement. And that's why we organized this institute because I felt that there was no engineering systems approach. Thank you, Dr. Shiva. Uh, one last question. Thank you, Dr. Shiva. Uh, you did a great job with that representation of that chart. I was wondering uh, how and where you obtained those records for the globe tallies, and if you had any roadblocks in obtaining that information. Yeah, so it's, it's a good question. Look, um, everything that I shared with you, that is publicly available information, but I can tell you, um, you know, we have, we're very fortunate, you know, I've donated a huge data center here in Cambridge to our institute. Uh, we happen to have, you know, very smart people who can do this, but there's two roadblocks here right now. One is you have to, you know, either hunt this data down on GitHub or some uh, state secretary of state site, or you have to apply for FOIAs and people sort of delay. And or when you get the data, it is in such a horrible format. It's a significant amount of effort to, you know, go through that data, organize the data, et cetera, and put it into a manner that you can actually organize it. One of the things, reforms that needs to take place is this. I mean, we live in the world of where Amazon can deliver, you know, goods to you in, you know, hours. Right. And they have all these complex data systems, by the way, a company which did which doubled their wealth during the pandemic. OK, if you know, and it's unfortunate. And, and today, database systems are pretty easy to manage and execute. So all of these data systems should be much more easy, much more open architecture for the public to go get it in real time. We, all of us as citizens, spend considerable amount of money in our tax dollars. Um, but the opacity, which means the opposite of transparency, is the first step to eliminating. So our institute is really going to identify this. And uh, we're not going to be sort of just a quote unquote think tank. Our goal is to also be to educate citizens. In, in the country alone last year, we taught citizens how to go to their local counties and get the participating voters list, get the ballots cast, and we provided them tools which are going to make available on their site. So you could just do a simple math. How many people came in to vote? How many ballots were cast? That's how simple this should be. It should, it's frankly been made very, very difficult multiple layers of complexity that don't need to be there. 
So there's two pieces. One, getting the data, you get a lot of, um, you know, recalcitrance. Um, and the second piece, when you get the data, sometimes they don't give it to me in electronic format. They give it to me in PDFs. We have boxes of PDFs here where we've had to scan, bring people in and to do it by hand. So they make it difficult. Thank you, Dr. Shiva. We really appreciate uh, you uh, being with us today. It was very insightful. And uh, thank you very much. And we will be in touch. Thank you. Be well. Have a good day. Thank you. Okay, everyone. Um, I just did a live in Nevada. I was asked to be a keynote speaker to talk about um, election systems integrity. As I mentioned to some of you, we are about to launch uh, as a program, an election systems integrity institute, a, a full launch. Uh, a year ago, November 19th, we had a soft launch and about 600 of you showed up and all of you expressed interest. But that's what I've been working on. We wanna formalize a lot of the work that we've been doing into a formal institute. And those of you who are joining a little bit late, I can share with you what that institute is. Let me bring it up. Um, but it's important to understand that we need to take a systems approach to understanding elections that goes beyond left and right. And that's why we're gonna be organizing uh, this institute. And I'll show you some of the quick, uh, just give you a preview into the, the institute and what we're doing. But um, the institute's website is electionsystemsintegrity.org. Um, it's, it is a 501c3 scientific research institution. And so obviously we'll be looking for support, but you can see this is the Institute's website. These are the areas that we're going to be focused on. The website is not complete. There's still a lot of holes in it. So just be mindful of that. But you can see over the last year, the work that we've been doing, uh, in this Institute, the different people that, that we've been working with and have been supportive. So I encourage you to go explore, explore that. Um, our research perspective is really an engineering systems approach. We're going to focus on these four areas. As you can see here, voter rolls, signature verification, ballot images, and SOPs. Uh, we will have our own working paper series. These are some of the publications and papers that we will, we will be launching shortly. Okay. And uh, they're just coming together. And then uh, we will have different conferences and talks like the one we did here. And we'll keep you all uh, up to date on them. But that's the Election Systems Integrity Initiative. Uh, no, sorry, Institute. Okay. So I want to thank everyone, but uh, we're going to be doing more of these and keep an eye out for it. Uh, our goal is to launch it officially tomorrow, right, John? Um, and uh, and to keep an eye out for it because um, I believe that uh, it was it was a great honor for me to be able to learn a lot of this uh, science and math. And uh, tomorrow's what is my fifty eighth birthday? Fifty seventh or fifty eighth? I forget. You can stop counting, but um, we're going to be launching it on my birthday. It's my gift to uh, people. Thank you. Have a good, um, uh, uh, good, good week.